I'd like for you to try to picture yourself going to a cemetery to put flowers on the grave of a loved one just a couple days after the burial and then finding the grave has been opened. The lid to the vault is thrown aside, the casket is open, the clothing is there, but the body is gone. What would you think? What would you do? Well, we'd probably think the same thing the friends of Jesus thought on a Sunday morning nearly 2,000 years ago, and their reactions were no doubt similar to what ours would probably be. First person to discover that the tomb was empty, responded by making a very logical assumption. We're continuing our study in John. We're in the 20th chapter now. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, none of the gospel writers give us all the details of resurrection morning, and that's good. You know, some might wonder why the Holy Spirit didn't make sure we had identical reports for the most important event of all time, but if all reports were identical, the assumption would be collusion that they all got together and concocted the story, having four different accounts, each giving details that the others omit, assures us that we have the testimony of different witnesses to the same event, and if we combine their testimonies, we can recreate with a very high degree of accuracy what actually happened. The first thing we notice in John's account is that While he tells us of Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, he doesn't mention the fact that she went there with a group of women that first Easter morning. From the other accounts, we discover that Mary, the mother of James, Salome, Joanna, and some other women went there with her. They came with more spices and perfume for Jesus' body, having decided that Joseph and Nicodemus' 75 pounds wasn't enough. As they approached the tomb, they began discussing who would help them roll the stone away from the tomb entrance. The stone was probably a large circular stone disc that rolled in a groove cut in front of the entrance, and it would be very, very heavy, and they didn't know if they would be able to roll it. When they got to the tomb, they discovered the tomb had been taken away from the tomb. Now, the word used there indicates that the stone wasn't merely rolled to one side, but had actually been taken away, perhaps taken out of the track and removed from the tomb, and perhaps it was laying flat on the ground nearby. When Mary saw this, she apparently assumed someone had vandalized the tomb and taken the body of Jesus. So she left immediately, running to tell Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know was John who wrote this, to tell them that someone had taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, the other gospel writers tell us that the women went into the tomb and were told by an angel that Jesus had risen from the dead, but apparently Mary wasn't with them when this message was given. 
having left even before the others entered the tomb. So she didn't know, but it happened. Her assumption, and it was a logical one, the same one we would no doubt make upon discovering an open and empty grave, was that someone had taken the body. And this was the message she carried to Peter and John. Let's see what they did with the news. Peter, therefore, went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. When Peter and John got the news, they immediately headed for the tomb, running as fast as they could. But John, who was younger than Peter and apparently in better shape, got to the tomb first. The rest of the women had left to tell the other disciples what had happened. So John was alone when he arrived at the tomb. When he got there, he stooped down to look in and saw the linen wrappings laying there. But he didn't go in, and who can blame him? I mean, who would want to go into a a dark tomb alone? Besides, he didn't know what was going on. Maybe when he saw the wrappings, he assumed grave robbers were still inside, rummaging through the contents of the tomb. Maybe he was just confused and didn't know what to do. Maybe he was afraid to find out what had happened, because sometimes we do hesitate to explore the truth because we're afraid of its implications. Whatever his reason for stopping, John froze at the entrance to the tomb, but not Peter. When he got to the tomb, he flew right by John to discover a most unusual situation. Simon Peter, therefore, also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been rolled on his head not lying with the rest of the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, Peter was the impetuous one. He's the one who, you remember, hopped out of the boat and walked on water. So it's not unexpected for Peter to go right in to the tomb. What he saw when he went in, however, was totally unexpected. The linen wrappings that John could see from the doorway were indeed lying there, and So was the face cloth, but it was rolled up in a place by itself. Now, that's all John tells us about what they saw, but it's certainly enough to stimulate our imagination to wonder what happened. How did it happen? You know, many have suggested that the wrappings were still in the shape of a body. Some even suggest the wrappings were still contoured as if a body were in them, like a a body cast. Most insist there's no reason to suggest the wrappings were rigid, but they had collapsed when the body arose and passed through them. Others focus on the shroud that was left behind, folded in half, and suggest that the face cloth was actually a a chin strap used to keep the mouth of the corpse closed. And we talked about the shroud last week. I've been fascinated by it for years and even took the kids to an exhibit in Chicago to see a full-size replica of it. You can see how little the kids were when I took them to this exhibit. 
And you can see how Nikki mimicked what Jesus did at our next slide. There. <laughs> it was an amazing exhibit, and uh, I thought the kids would remember, but they don't remember much about it. But I do. And it's kind of exciting. It's exciting. It just, it's fun. Now, just this last month, I learned about another uh, item of interest, uh, the Sudarium of Oviedo. It's a bloodstained cloth that's in the holy chamber of the Cathedral of San Salvador in Oviedo, Spain. The Sudarium, which is Latin for sweat cloth, has better provenance than the shroud. It has a better historical record. It was moved from Jerusalem in 614 to keep it from invading Persians and has been in Spain ever since. Now they say that the blood stain looks very similar to the image of the face on the shroud and the blood is the same blood type. But again, like the shroud, its authenticity is debated and our faith in what happened to the body of Jesus doesn't come from relics. In fact, the article on the Sedarium noted that some of it was written or assisted by AI tools. So who knows? Who knows? What we do know for certain is that Jesus arose. And many believe after rising from the dead, he simply removed the wrappings, folded them, and left them behind as a testimony to the fact that he had indeed Risen. Now, I like that picture best of all. But we really have no way of knowing for sure what happened to the wrappings, what they were like, or even how they were left in the tomb. All we know for sure is that they were left behind. And that, in and of itself, is very significant. You know, if someone had taken the body, they would have no doubt left it wrapped up. They wouldn't unwrap it before carrying it out of the tomb. But the wrappings were still there, and the body was gone. What was Peter to think? What was he to think? And what about John? What would he conclude once he got into the tomb? Well, let's find out. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. John finally got up the nerve to enter the tomb, and he saw and believed. What did he see? He saw the empty wrappings. Apparently, that's all that he saw. The angels who had spoken to the women were not there for some reason, even though they would later return to speak with Mary. All Peter and John saw were the wrappings. Now, some insist upon the basis of that evidence. They concluded that Jesus had risen from the dead and their faith is held up as exemplary. Now, they didn't need angels to tell them, nor Jesus to appear to them, nor to even understand the scriptures to believe. They simply saw the wrappings and believed. I'm not so sure I'm ready to congratulate them for their faith at this point. The text simply says John saw and believed. It doesn't say what he believed. In fact, I think 
that the statement, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, indicates that they did not yet believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. They simply believed he was gone. They believed Mary's story. They believed that Jesus had been taken by parties unknown to a location unknown. And that might help explain their unusual reaction to finding the tomb empty. Verse 10. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now I find that a most unusual reaction. Even if they believed someone had taken the body of Jesus, you wouldn't expect them to simply go home. You'd expect them to go to the authorities. You know, there have been grave robbers forever. Ancient tombs were raided in the hopes of finding treasures that had been buried with the bodies. When Marilyn and I were in Venice, we visited the Basilica of St. Mark. Above the portico in front of the church were mosaics, and one of them depicted how Mark ended up there. In 828, a group of Venetian merchants stole his remains from a church in Alexandria and smuggled them to Venice in a wicker basket that contained pork so the Islamic authorities wouldn't look inside. When visiting Lincoln's tomb in Oak Ridge, you may have ventured to his first tomb located down the hill uh, beside it, behind it. His casket was placed there first, behind steel doors, sealed under a stone block. When there was a plot to steal his body discovered and to be held for ransom, agents were in the area when the would-be grave robbers arrived. They still managed to break the lock off the door and pry away the stone before being scared off by an accidental gun discharge. Now, things like this still happen. One of history's most famous body snatchings took place in 1977 when the body of Charlie Chaplin same of you may so. Who in the world was that? Well, he was a very famous slapstick comedian. His body was stolen from a Swiss cemetery two months after his burial. His widow received a ransom demand for $600,000, but she refused to even consider it, saying Charlie would have found the ransom ridiculous. Well, stealing the body of Jesus would not have been ridiculous. And if Peter and John had believed Jesus' body had been taken, you'd think they would have gone to the authorities or at least gone looking for it. The last thing we'd expect them to do is simply go home, as if nothing had happened. You know, if they believed Jesus had risen from the dead, certainly they wouldn't have gone home. Well, on second thought, maybe John would have gone home briefly just to tell Jesus' mother the good news because she was staying with him. But there's no record of him doing that. If he did, he, you'd expect him to have written something like, I, I rushed home to, to tell Mary that her son was alive and, and then tell the rest uh, of the disciples what had happened. And everyone was shouting, he's alive, he's alive. But we don't read that. 
We don't read that. All we read is, so the disciples went away to their own homes. Is that any way to react to the discovery that the tomb is empty? Surely we wouldn't react like that to the greatest news ever heard, or, or would we? You know, perhaps the disciples can be forgiven for just going home because they didn't have all the facts. But can we be forgiven for just going home? You know, we don't have to deduce the truth from a few linen wrappings. We have the record of angelic visits. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses who saw him alive. We have the evidence of lives transformed by a risen Savior. But still, many of us just go home and never tell anyone that the grave is empty and that we know why. You know, every Lord's Day, we gather to worship our risen Lord. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. But do we then go out and tell everyone that he's alive? Or do we just go home? Well, let's not keep the greatest news of all to ourselves. Let's make certain that everyone we know knows that we serve a risen Savior. We sing it. Let's share it. At least with someone when we leave. Let's not just go home. Let's stand.